You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 400, when taking offence costs a career, when is cheating okay? Hmm, when it's the president, and the renaissance of Raheem Sterling. It's all coming up after Stevie Wonder and I Hear a Symphony. You're giving me a true love And every day I thank you, love For feeling that so new So inviting, so exciting Whenever you're near, I hear a symphony A tender melody Pulling me double album released in uh, 2004 called Motown Sings Motown Treasures which as um, the title clearly suggests is a collection of Motown artists covering other Motown artists work and it actually it shows how many um, now classic Motown songs were passed around their groups and singers before it was decided which version would get released Uh, this track was a hit for the Supremes in fact number one on the Billboard Hot 100 but that was Stevie Wonder's version recorded in 1966 and I Hear a Symphony that is super I love that both the original and the cover Exactly, yes. It's, it's abs- both of them absolutely superb. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 400. Um, I'm Terence Stackham, and back from what can only be described as an exotic weekend away 
It's Juliet Harris. Yes, here I am, returned from the wilds of, Kate, of uh, Kent. We did indeed go on holiday by mistake, hence why I just said the wilds of Kate go mm. on holiday by mistake is where I think I was going with that. <laughs> but anyway, thank you very much to Celia, who runs an excellent Airbnb in a, in a non-fashionable earage, although who knows, or earage, uh, tomato, tomato, who knows whether it will mm. become more fashionable now that we visited, I suspect so. Undoubtedly, there'll, there'll be a plaque on the wall before the end of the week. I was going to say, there'll be, there'll be a there, there'll be a bus tour there I should think and the maps of the stars <laughs> the walk of fame in Eric indeed yes <laughs> or perhaps the walk of shame it depends <laughs> there was a very nice farm shop so uh, so yes do go and, and delight in it sounds good now George if somebody says something with which we very strongly disagree do we wish to and do we have the right to publicly vilify them and then encourage their career to be destroyed not many people will have heard of the actor Sayi Amuba, but recently oh. she was cast in the leading role of Salee in the musical version here in the UK of The Colour Purple. Uh, then it came to light uh, very recently that back in 2014, Miss Amuba had posted this on Facebook, and I quote directly, I do not believe you can be born gay, and I do not believe homosexuality is right. Though the law of this land has made it legal, doesn't mean it's right. End of quote. Now, as a consequence, this this social media post popped up, taking into account the, the character she was going to play in the colour color purple has a relationship with another woman, a little touch of irony there, um, she has <laughs> been dropped from the production, and on top of this, her agents have removed her profile uh, from their website. Now, some people listening to us today may even agree with Saya Amuba's comments. My feeling is that most of our listeners won't agree with her, but mm. have we really reached a stage in society, in life, where people are not allowed to hold opposing views? And hugely important this, I think. Can we not just disagree, but allow, in this case, Miss Amuba, to keep her job and her livelihood... She wasn't suggesting violence or anything like that. She holds a view that being homosexual isn't right. Let her hold that view. We may disagree with her view. And then let her keep her job, Jules. I'm a bit sick of people saying that I shouldn't exist, really. Um, sorry to be a bit personal on mm -hmm. this, but um, I'm, I'm... Well, first, you said there's some irony in the fact that she yes. doesn't say something in a gay relationship. Also, perhaps a little mischievously, if she doesn't believe that her homosexuality is correct, I wonder if going onto the stage was the right career for her, frankly. Well, yes. she's, likely to, um, mm. she's likely to encounter quite a lot of that sort of thing, I should think. I would have it's thought. Not, it's not known as the most heterosexual industry, is it, really? No. So, um, so, it does... There is and many irony um, I suppose okay so I'll deal with the, I'll, we'll deal with the fact uh, should she have been sat from the production there's a there's a question mark you, you could go into the whether or not uh, how much acting is required for acting I suppose there's a question for that here I think the idea that, that you know she was meant to be playing someone in a gay relationship yes everybody when, when we act we have to play some you know if we do act yeah. we, we, we are something that sometimes we might be asked to do something that we are not we might ask to be do something that is outside of our own experience it, there are two ways of spinning this either A is she the worst person in the world to do this because she's made it patently clear that she does not believe in, in homosexuality and she thinks it is wrong yeah. is she going to be able to bring a convincing performance to that 
who knows possibly not equally it could go the other way you could say well she might be you know if she's able to do it convincingly that might make her make her the greatest actress ever because she has no you know clearly she has no no influence on that at all but i i mean i do find it frustrating i do think it's 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 to what extent do we vilify people because they hold different views to us Mm. and to what extent do we indulge behavior which isn't right and and you know to be fair if i I mean, in a way, I don't want. It's it, it, you know, not all discrimination can be cross compared. But it's interesting that she's a, an actor of colour. I mean, how would she feel if I was due to be in? I don't know something, something like you know, one of those type type productions. Mm playing a white person and i said you know and i put something on facebook four years ago on the lines of black people are inferior i don't believe they should be treated as equals mm. obviously i would never say that because really that's not something i believe but if i said that on facebook and then lost my job i would be right to lose my job not just because could i give a convincing performance but because it is a repugnant thing to say and it is it is not right it is morally wrong and i have to say i am a bit sick i don't think someone thinking that my relationships are wrong that i am lying to myself and lying to other people that i wasn't born like that and that that i am wrong to do so and that i am inferior to heterosexual people i don't think that point of view is a differing point of view i think it is a it is a wrong point of view It is an offensive point of view and I, you know, I, I can't be that laid back about that. I'm afraid. I, I know that I have a personal attachment to this, but you know, th- this is the reality, isn't it? How do all those people, quite a few of whom were probably homosexual, how would they feel about working with her? How would, how would, you know, how would they feel about st- sharing a stage, sharing a work environment with somebody who thinks that they shouldn't, that effectively they shouldn't exist in the way that they do? I mean, usually, I would, if for example, she came out and said. I think everybody should vote Tory. Anybody that votes Labour is wrong, and she was in a political play. Then you think, oh well, that's just a that's a matter of political belief. I, I, unlike many people in my own political party at the moment, don't automatically think someone is inherently evil because they hold conservative beliefs. I think that's you know I I, I am I am happy I'm comfortable with the idea that people hold different beliefs to me and still have a place in public life. I do have a problem with people thinking it's okay for me not to exist. Well, you make a very... quite strongly, I'm afraid. <coughs> you make a very compelling case there. I really do. I, you know, I, uh, I've listened very carefully to that. I, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to make you feel a bit bad about having a contrary point of yeah, view. Yeah, well, let, let me see if I can explain. It's perfectly possible that someone believes... Someone who believes very strongly, let's say in Christianity, can mm. work... Say in an office or a shop with someone who follows Islam or Hinduism or someone who's agnostic or an atheist, we can feel differently to other people, but they can still work alongside us and even be our friends. Who decides? This I think this is a problem here. You know, of course I don't share her view. I think it's a repugnant point of view. But who decides which views are the ones that mean an actor can't act? Remembering, you know, she, she's lost her job and her livelihood, oh, or a no, singer but... can't sing, an athlete can't run, all because they hold a view that other people disagree with. We don't. But, but, I, but I think it's more than that. This is this is the point that I'm making. It's more than that. It's not just a point. It's just not. It's not just that. Oh, she likes certain things and I don't. She believes in certain things. Mm and I don't it's the fact that she thinks that the way that I live my life is morally wrong and that I should not be living it in that way I don't I I think it's different if people hold different religions I've met lots of people but they think that the way other people live their lives are morally wrong 
But they don't, but, I mean, they might do, but they don't, uh, actually, I've come across a lot of interfaith forums where lots of people work together very mm. well. I think it's, I think it's the way in which one expresses things that is a different thing. I mean, you could argue, was it right that something that she wrote on her personal Facebook was then shared and, mm. and used in this way? I, there is an argument for that. But having said that, I think what people are going to have to learn, and we've talked, we've touched on this in the podcast mm. before pretty quick, pretty previously, is people are going to have to learn pretty quickly that in the crazy world of online you can put up barriers if you want but there is no such thing as private oh, i sure agree with you there yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the fact that somebody trawled back I, I assume uh five years to find this comment um you know it absolutely makes your point for Which, you and, and it's and it's quite interesting i'm not saying if it's right or wrong and i don't know what that person's motives were mm. but it's interesting why did somebody feel the need to do that mm. Maybe someone was concerned about those views. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I, I just think that's interesting. Why, why, you know, who had an axe to grind and why there? Because someone clearly did if they trawled back five years. Yeah, certainly. Coming next, is cheating ever acceptable? <laughs> I think we might be more in agreement. We this. may do. What's the difference <laughs> between gamesmanship and dishonesty? That's next, right after Santi Gold.
Now, there's a there's a Prince comparison here, mm. as she is the artist formerly known as Santo Gold. When she first came, she first started releasing records, including this one in 2008. She was known as Santo Gold, and mm. she then subsequently became known as Santi Gold. So, if you're looking to Google this, that's oh. something to bear in mind. And so, when you put in Santo Gold, it says, "Do you mean Santi Gold?" <laughs> well, no, I don't, but yes, I do. Ultimately, <laughs> I suppose where we're going with this, she changed her name. Um, I think for some for, due to some kind of legal action from somebody else, I think. I'm just trying to... I, I did feel for her. She produced the first album in 2008, and in February 2009, always makes me laugh when people that yeah. have done virtually nothing sue other people <laughs> because they just happen to have a similar name. She announced that she changed her stage name to Santi Gold for reasons related to a possible lawsuit from director Santo Victor Rigatuso, who produced the 1985 movie <gasps> Santo Gold's Blood Circus. Obviously, a, a big hit all around the world, a 1985 independent American science fiction horror film with a professional wrestling theme. Don't we all know that, for God's sake, etc. But anyway, I really like that. It's, uh, it's great. It comes from her debut album, which is called Santo Gold because it hangs over from the previous thing and it's one of those tunes that just um, that just I think I've listened to it I think I downloaded it last week and I've listened to it 44 times or wow. something crazy like that I, every time it stops playing I just want to start playing it again it's so catchy I think that's a, such a great song and that is Lights Out I had heard it, I was thinking where had I heard it before and then I um, realised I'd heard it it was in a TV ad, com- oh, ad campaign that's for kind of beer sense, yeah. Yeah, Bud, Bud Light I think um, anyway Santa Gold yeah touring across America in May 2019, and then appearing in the UK at Glastonbury. Mm, right, I, I I'm not due to be attending Glastonbury this no, year. Fingers crossed, might do latitude though. Mm, well, that'd be nice. Yeah. Um, just a few months back in November 2018, mm. there was a little reported story of how Doris Chen, a young 25 year old, had been disqualified from an event on the Ladies' Professional Golf Association mm. tour. Um, she'd hit a drive out of bounds, but then it turned out that a spectator had picked up a ball and moved it back onto the course. Now, why would Miss Chen be disqualified? Because, well, the spectator who moved her ball turned out to be her mother. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all want a mum like that? Tiger mother in the golfing world. (laughs) So she was disqualified um, as the LPGA decided... I I could just imagine her going, Oh, Mum, you're not helping! (laughs) (laughs) They said it was cheating. Now, I was reminded of the story this week when we saw the reviews and publicity for a new book out this week written by Rick Riley, a former journalist for Sports Illustrated, and the book has a very clear title, Commander in Cheat, How Golf Explains Trump. Do you see what they did there? Uh, that, is, yeah. that is superb yeah. punning. I bet there was an editor that punched the air when they got that <laughs> in my email. The book, it's filled with anecdotes from a whole range of people, from Samuel L. Jackson to Alice Cooper, who all... That's quite a journey, isn't it? That's <laughs> quite a leap. Um, they all told Riley that, Riley that they'd witnessed Trump cheating. Um, clearly, there's one rule for Doris Chen and another for Mr. Trump because he is also accused of moving his ball or his caddy moves his ball for him because he can't be bothered getting out of his golf cart um, to a more attractive position on the course. Now, there may be a difference here in that Miss Chen and her mother were trying to get her, her Doris, um, traction in the golf world, whereas Trump's activities are more, I suspect, about one-upmanship but mm. I'm easily confused um, here Jules when is cheating not cheating and, and a couple of things struck me if you buy a newspaper in a shop and you're given 20 pence too much change and you don't take it back are you a cheat if you tell a school that you're resident in their catchment area to get your child into that mm. better rated school even though you live in the next town is that cheating Jules does that make you as bad as Trump 
Well, I, I mean, I, I always like to introduce my sliding scales into mm, our discussions. And do, I think I'm, yes. going to, I'm going to bring it, I bring it along. Again. I'm going to draw I'm, a graph as you explain I was it. going to say, I've taken it out from underneath my arm. Yeah. We've, we've propped it up against the wall. Um, it's, it, I mean, first of all, to deal with this story of, of, you know, the plausibility of Trump cheating at golf, <laughs> I'm going to quote the great philosopher that is the Iago the Parrot from uh, Disney's Aladdin, the original cartoon <laughs> version. What a surprise. Not a surprise. I'm so not surprised i think i'm gonna have a heart attack and die from not surprised that's kind of how i feel about <laughs> donald trump's uh, revealed to be a cheat donald trump's whole philosophy you're absolutely right on this is one upmanship and his whole philosophy is about having to win all the time whilst i have to be honest often not having any kind of natural talent at all and that's yes. what's so in- entertaining <laughs> slash depressing about trump's descent this man fails at everything he does and this is why he is as obnoxious as he is not that i'm making any any excuse for him at all i hate the bloke but yeah. he he you know he he uh, you know everything that he does he seems to get wrong and it's funny that people <laughs> inadequate people cheat i think at sports particularly because if you are good enough to win then you don't need to cheat mm. i think ultimately and that's that's why that's why it's my favorite sport years ago is the tour de france and that's why aspects of that were so frustrating because it was almost impossible to tell whether or not the cyclists were genuinely were the best cyclists, um, or whether they had a whole, you know, whether Lance Armstrong was the best because he had a, a, a fridge full of EPO. It's almost impossible <laughs> to tell now. And uh, I, I remember when I was younger, it, it's when you look back on these things and you unpick it all, it's sort of mm. heartbreaking. Really. I remember by my dad, because my dad used to be into it, and it's something that I grew up watching with him, and we used to watch all these, uh, watch all the programs, read all these books. I've read so many books about the Tour de France, and there was one once that had this big thing in it about that was sort of lionizing multiple winners of the tour de france and how they had there was something about them that made them special they were superhuman so miguel indurain's uh, who won several times in the late 80s early 90s had that was rumored i think he had that his heart was bigger or something which meant it could pump more blood around the body mm-hmm. and lance, Ar- lance armstrong was claimed to have a bigger lung capacity he had a big capacity for something but yes i feel now oh god you know i was lied to by a book for good Say, or maybe the person that wrote the book was lied to. I don't know, but there's there's something like you say. There's, there's, I think that cheating comes from a place of inadequacy, and also it's a question of degree as well. Like I say, so is not telling somebody that you've lost, you know, that, that they over that they undercharged mm. you by Ted P and W H Smith. Yes. is that the same thing as? filling your fridge full of EPO on the Tour de France is that the same thing as moving someone else's ball at golf are they all the same thing are they different things I suspect like like we say there is a sliding scale for this but I, I wonder if we can treat deliberate acts as a different thing to sort of acts of omission and when does not saying something go beyond not saying something and become a deliberate act there's almost a philosophical there's a philosophical question there when does not doing something become actually doing something by its very nature i wondered if we could turn this um into another direction because um we we could argue that cheating in inverted commas perhaps is widespread in music and does it matter we know that in the past the past of physical product it was possible to boost the chart positions of a single by buying copies in chart return shops 
older yeah. listeners will remember the case of Millie Vanilli, <laughs> a, a, a rather humdrum dance R&B duo. Why else would you want to remember well, Millie Vanilli as my probably argument. wouldn't. They had a huge hit, I think it was the late 80s, um, with um, Girl, You Know It's True, that's it. Yeah. But then it turned out that the bloke seemingly acting as Millie Vanilli didn't actually sing on the record, and it ended up with <laughs> Grammys Were Returned. And, and God, it sounds like our old friend Threatened. Do you remember him? Oh, yes, him. It's a yeah. pop star that wasn't, that didn't have a band. And, you know, is this really, is that sort of thing, is that different, Jules, from the Beach Boys, the Monkeys, the Mummers and the Puppers having the Wrecking Crew play on all their records? Uh, and, you know, it didn't say um, the Beach Boys with the Wrecking Crew. The, the album cover just said the Beach Boys. Mm, that's interesting, <coughs> isn't it? Yeah, but, uh, again, that is, uh, you know, but, well, it probably had the Wrecking Crew credited somewhere on the sleeve, but as you say, they were in small letters on the mm. back. They weren't in big letters on the front, were they? No, that is that is really interesting. Also... Another idea, you'll probably see this as cheating, auto-tune. Auto-tune. That is, that is you know, That's a total a good point. cheat, isn't it? That yeah. is, that is a, you know, this person on X Factor that cannot sing, all of a sudden now suddenly can. How many, and also, does do records say on them? In a way, I think auto-tune is even worse, because although, yes, it is not right that they have the wrecking crew playing with them, they still performed on the record, the original artist. I mean, mm. I'm, you know, the, the extent, and again, it's a question of degree, the extent to which they performed on that record is not accurately represented, but the people that played with them will be credited somewhere, even if, probably, even if it's not nowhere near as big. With auto-tune, how many records which use auto-tune technology will say, oh, and... <laughs> tune on this i don't think any would and le- and i could be wrong though i'm more than willing to be proved wrong and uh, maybe it's tucked away and you know when they list the equipment and thanks to mm. you know premier for their drums and fender for their basses and whoever it is that makes auto tune for their auto tune i don't know but like you say like we say it's a question of degree and yes it's not right but but i think the auto in a way i think it's again it's this act of omission or or, or over exaggeration it, it may, maybe Maybe slight not representing the whole truth is that the same as completely lying? I don't know. It's again, it's it's a difficult dilemma. I mean, auto tune, you know, is it simply good practice to improve a song, or is it cheating? You know, it's uh, you know, is it, it is you know, it, again with the idea of cheating. What I said previously about how inadequate people have to cheat. If that person could sing that song properly, they wouldn't need auto tune, would they? Very true. We're looking at the renaissance, the regeneration, we might say, of Raheem Sterling. You like to check up on our friends, threatening Raheem. You know, we always like to. Sure, they're all right. I'd like to we keep an eye on them. For one-offs, yes, they very much become part of the rocking Vicar family.
I really do believe that Hannah Reed has one of the greatest voices in modern music. Yeah, from... completely agreed. Mm, wonderful voice. From their first album, 2013's If You Want, that's London Grammar, and maybe... I'd always hope that, that um, more would be heard of them, if you see what yeah. I mean. I thought they had the potential to be enormous, mm. but, but I mean, that they do have, they've had success, haven't they? But I've always thought that they had the potential to do a Porter's Head or somebody like that, and they, they haven't really, which is a pity, because I think they're brilliant. I put them in the same bracket as churches. Mm. They're both fantastic, and, you know, I would think in a, in a sane and sensible world, they'd be very big acts. I, I sometimes wonder, and uh, sorry to go off on a bit of a tangent no, here, but I, all, I agree with about, you. about Christine and the Queens the other day, yes. who we've, we've played previously yes. on, on the podcast, who we love, yes. and I think that Christine is a proper pop star, and we said, God, if Smash Hits still existed, she'd be on the front page every week. If Smash the Hits still existed, churches, or churches as we have to call them, because they use a V for uh, Daft yes, yes. slash Google search engine related reasons, and London Grammar, they'd both be big, yes, I think. Yeah. If, if, Sma- if Smash Hits all the music Music yeah. did exist, they'd be big, I think. I, I, I'm sure you're right. Um, and, you know, I think as we've spoken before uh, about this issue, is that there's so much competition now. 30 years ago, um, I'm sure they would have been in the top five of the charts worldwide, but there's just so, and there's bands in every street now, and to well, get absolutely. traction and to be heard is so well, hard. Well, it's, it's because everyone can record at home, yeah. isn't it? So it's yeah. not like you're relying on a, on a record company's whims to pay for you to go into a studio now. You know, if I, if I wanted to write a song this week and then distribute it online, I could probably do that without anybody else's help yeah. if I wanted to. No, I mean, it's it not... I'm not saying it would be a world beast. <laughs> no, it. It, the, the point is very valid. Um, it's not long ago that, um, not long ago at all, in fact, that the, to mention the footballer Raheem Sterling to anyone other than the fans of Manchester City would have elicited the response of a roll of the eyes and comments about diving uh, for penalties and tattoos. Mm. And we, as we, we said a little while ago, we, we've commented a couple of times in the last um, few years, Jules, uh, ourselves. Um, but from the perspective yes. of concern, really, about his harsh treatment by especially mm. the tabloid press. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, still, still feel that way. Yes. Now, in recent months, there's been an image that haunts me, and it comes back into my mind every now and then, and it's the contorted face of a spectator at Stamford Bridge last December as he, a man in his, well, must have been 50s or 60s, screams abuse at Raheem Sterling for no apparent reason. Raheem Sterling, somehow, he just stood there for a moment, smiled and just got on with the game. Now, since then... Um, Raheem, he's become a voice of sanity and reason as football and society tries to find solutions to eradicate eradicate the, I suppose we could call it the new rise of racism. Although the re-emergence, re-emergence, I, I don't think it ever went away. This week, um, you've also come across a story, I think, that shows there's more to Raheem Sterling than tattoos. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that and I was talking to someone about this the other day that yeah. when you buy a player, you may you may spend money on skill, but what you're really buying is character when it comes down to it. And there we were talking about, you know, to use my increasing phrases become a catchphrase of the of the podcast, dustbin people. So yeah. so there are some players that you think are absolutely terrific players, but just seem to be terrible people. I mean, you draw my attention drew my attention to Diego Costa being sent off somewhere for having insulted a referee's mother 
other and we commented on how some things never change yes. so there are some people who who ultimately and and you know they, they may at some levels succeed in that they may continue to pick up big money deals through clubs i mean we were talking about sanchez the other day and how he just doesn't seem to be up to it he doesn't seem to have the character or the personality to be up to it yet what other team is going to pay 350 grand yes. a week now but he will continue to work to earn that manchester united so he'll have success on a on a pecuniary level but he won't have success on a going to big teams, playing on the world stage, winning trophies level because ultimately people won't want to deal with him. Mourinho is unlikely to win any more trophies because people won't want anything to mm. do with him. You know, that, that sort of thing. So it's interesting. Character and personality say so much and they do, they, do, they do come to haunt you in the end, I think. And I think it just says so much about Raheem Sterling that the... And we've, we've talked previously, so we won't go into huge detail here, but our, our, our ideas as to why he is given such an unfair crack of the whip with tabloid press how at one point certainly at one point in time it would seem everything that he did was scrutinized you know the idea that he bought his mum a house you know he had this tattoo etc etc it was so sort of terrible if you see what i mean and when it wouldn't a white player would not have been a, a, a subject to that much scrutiny i mean admittedly he has frustrating moments on the pitch when mm. he scores goal, he misses goals that he should have scored but it would seem that the criticism of him went beyond that in a way that it wouldn't have done with other players but why i'm sort of praising his character etc is that you know like you say the contorted face of you know mm. Um, some probable racist screaming at him at, at, at Chelsea, and yet you know either either directly or, or inadvertently. Mm. But actually, what Raheem does is he laughs in their face. He continues to take part in those those, those wonderful kind of photographs of them all on unicorns and having a lovely time in that. Oh, England yes, team. Yeah. He, he seems to be you know taking good part in that, and then just as a matter of fact buys 550 FA Cup tickets for uh, pupils at his former school the Ark Elvin Academy um, it sits in the shadow of Wembley um, he paid for 550 of their kids to go to the uh, FA Cup final uh, semi-final rather at Wembley Wembley's fault for having the semi-finals there. It diminishes it in my view, but yeah, anyway. Me too. Uh, the, the semi-final, hashtag me too, the semi-final uh, at Wembley um, where um, where he was playing against Brighton. Brighton, um, spoiler alert, I'm going to reference the match if you haven't seen <coughs> but, um, but yeah, Brighton having led in a daft goal early on were very much yes. Manchester City's equal. They were very unlucky not to, not to come away with anything and I thought that the punditry afterwards was... Um, uh, sour grapes um, and ungracious uh, bordering on uncalled for because Brighton have the audacity to be a small club uh, without players that are mainstays on the celebrity golf circuit and uh, and you know skew big mm. money signings and give their managers time and therefore they are viewed with uh, the, the big pundits and players don't know what to do with them so anyway rant over about that but yeah hats off to Raheem who having been under extraordinary scrutiny more so than anybody else does does nice things like that and and they actually interviewed one of the um one of the pupils from the school at half time which i thought was rather cool and he was full of praise and said that they were all so pleased and that they really saw him as a role model and that they were very inspired by the gesture and you think well if that is that what a great not just get not just encouraging them to go and watch the game but also by saying 
this is what I have done with my money in a position of power that's a great lesson to teach yeah. the kids I think and actually interestingly here uh, compare and contrast and it seems like I don't want to seem like I'm criticising this person but we were talking about this again at the weekend on the same day as Raheem Sterling you know talked about his um, you know or rather Raheem Sterling was reported as having you know uh, donated these tickets he's mm. put up with a lot of racism but he manages to kind of write to really rise above it I think and really be a good role model there was a very depressing interview with Danny Rose in the in the yeah. Saturday Day Telegraph, who is also a, a young black player, who is I don't know what how I, what how old he is compared to Sterling. He's 27, so he might be a bit older, I think. But he's played in that England side in at the World Cup, and is you know known as a, a big player. But his his interview was very depressed. He he didn't seem to have that kind of a. a I'm not saying that he should have to have that ability to rise above it, and that is what a point worth making. I think, yes, Raheem Sterling does incredibly well, but you could argue that he shouldn't have to. None of them should have to, but. Danny Rose's interview was he was it was depressing and the general you don't know if it was just a bad day or if he might have been misquoted there is always that opportunity there was always that chance there's always that possibility but the fact that he kind of said oh you know I can't wait to retire from football racing is out of control but I think the thing that, that, that we found difficult to deal with was his I think well the poor choice of words and lack of graciousness when he said you know oh um it's pointless teams be you know nations being fined money the fine for racism is less than i'd spend on a night out in london and you think well there are ways and means of making yes. this point and i'm not convinced no. that's the right one and it did it did rather contrast with raheem sterling's 550 tickets for the uh, the kids that went to his school i'm not saying that danny rose should have to put up with what he does but I, don't, I do think it shines a lot on how exceptional Raheem Sterling is. Yes, and while we're saying hurrah for Raheem, if anyone wants to uh, see the warmer side of Raheem Sterling, there's a wonderful clip that he posted on Instagram and YouTube of his mm. one-year-old son playing oh, football at home, isn't it? it? And um, there's also a brilliant article out there as well. I can't remember. I will have to try. I had to try into it. He wrote in the run up to the World Cup about his life story, and it is just amazing. It is so good. There have been a few sort of speeches, articles by footballers that I read. Frank Lampard gave a speech to the PFA once, I think, when he won Player of the Year in the mid 2000s. Oh, that's and that was, right. That yes. was brilliant as well. Yes. It's on a par with that, I think, in terms of just a footballer telling their life story. And it is, it is so good. And he talks about how he, I think he was a single-parent family and he used to have to go to places of work with his mother because she cleaned in offices and things after school and stuff like that. And it, it was an immense story. And, and I just think I can understand the frustrations of people like Danny Rose. But mm. the fact that Raheem Sterling is able to take that anger... Well, our old friend uh, Sir John of Leiden, Anger is an Energy from the PIL mm. song, he really does manage to turn his anger into something that is such a positive thought for and in a way it's it's selfless rather than Danny Rose's kind of oh I can't wait to get out of this I'm spending all this money on nights out in London you know Raheem Sterling's attitude seems to be what can I do to make this better for the people below me and that is that is super cool I, I suppose to be fair to Danny Rose we all handle our reaction to stressful yeah. situations that, a different that, way you know and, uh, yeah no, that is true I mean it's um, it was unfortunate that that was that was in the press the same weekend yes. as Raheem. It did make it look particularly bad. But as I say, might have been misquoted, might have been a bad day. There may be things going on that we don't know about. Yeah. I'm not sure. But I just thought it was interesting in the contrast. That's all. Now, Jules, when you're not swanning around Airbnbs in Kent, <laughs> yeah. 
just drinking champagne on yes. a Saturday evening listening to Garecki. So much of my working class labour credentials. Well, I did notice, I was going to say it was chandeliers. You didn't have chandeliers. You had a, a kind of chandelier thing with candles in it. Yeah, it was a sort of a candelabra type yes. thing. Yes. Yes, we were, we were very keen on that. Just to sort of daytime meals, really, because why not? Yeah. So when you're not doing all of that, where can we find you this week? Well, I'm not so much doing public engagements oh, this week. Okay. I a few things coming up in, in May and June, mm. but at the, at the moment I'm just sort of, I am, as you so uh, sensitively put it, swanning about. Um, <laughs> with my working class activities, I mm. am going to the Royal Opera House in oh, Covent Garden tomorrow for a tour, so we lovely. may discuss that next week yes. if anybody does particularly obnoxious on the tour yes. or something similar. I will be celebrating Record Store Day on the 13th of April. Very much looking forward to going to uh, Music's Not Dead. Um, I think I've mentioned them on this podcast before. They did used to have a wonderful shop in Bexhill and they've now moved and they are running out of the Delaware Pavilion Cafe oh, upstairs. Okay. And it's, it's a really good arrangement and they've got bands on all afternoon and early evening on Saturday the 13th of April. So there'll be stores up and down the country doing things but they always have a really good lineup of people um, including the near jazz experience which have half of what used to be blurt from the late 70s early 80s that would be particularly interesting i should think so yeah i will be going along to that and checking out the excellent exhibitions at the dead of war including still i rise um which is a, a feminist exhibition which has been getting write-ups in national newspapers so that might be worth a look as well if you're in the area Beautiful architecturally de- designed yes. building, the Delaware. It's used in everything. It was used in the one of the Agatha Christie things at Christmas. I think it's often uh, often on things. Although it, uh, it it makes me laugh that it's that they they took part in the um, speaking to somebody there. They they it takes a central role. They used to have a better be- festival called Bexhill Roaring Twenties, which was tied in with the sort of the um, the Bexhill One Hundred, which is a classic car show. And they had the world record attempt for the most people dancing the Charleston at the same time <laughs> as part of the Roaring Twenties festival only slight fire in the order for this is that the Delaware pavilion was not constructed until 1935 oh. so a little bit of a of a continuity error there but no it's a lovely place mm. for a but and, and although i read a review recently in in in, in a, a, a local paper that said and it was in a it was in a, a local paper from the croydon locale they had a correspondent on tour going to visit it and they say he said warning the cafe closes at five this isn't london so <laughs> just just warning in advance for anybody that's coming down to visit but no that's where i'll be and i'm looking forward to it Thanks to you for listening. Always. And thanks to Hilly and Rona. Yeah, indeed, the production team from heaven. To play us out, Jules, a track from the new album by a much-loved Scottish musician. Indeed, yes, good old Edwin. Or as he, he stars himself, he's much like you, Terence, you've got much in common. He always signs off his tweets, Sir Edwin. So, <laughs> yet another Tim Pot titleist. But, um, but yeah, I'm a big <laughs> fan of Edwin Collins. Um, from his Orange Juice days, um, of course, being a, a, a sort of a, a person that cut their teeth in the 90s, a girl like you was my first Edwin Collins experience. But, um, yeah. but no, he, um, and then, of course, that remarkable recovery from his serious illness in the in the 2000s uh, grace uh, grace maxwell's book i think it's called falling and laughing is his partner's book is really worth uh, reading it's uh, it might be called the possibilities are endless actually because that was the i'm just gonna look this up now but that was mm. he, he had a, a very severe sort of stroke and hemorrhage and he was only able to say yes no grace maxwell and the possibilities are endless for a very long time um he yeah he really wasn't at all well but has made this kind of incredible recovery there's a brilliant documentary about it as well which is worth watching and he's now sort of well enough to to make records again his voice is called falling and laughing actually the book but he's able now to um to make records again and i think this is lovely and i really liked this and the rest of the albums are excellent as well 
So he's, there's, there's something about sort of time and illness that's made his baritone, I think, even more affecting than it was previously. So uh, so this is, um, I'll call him Sir Edwin because he <laughs> is a Sir B. So Sir Edwin from the album Bad B, this is I Guess We Were Young. <laughs> listening to a DAC Media Production.